Hello, and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The purpose is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing comprehensive, data-driven business development playbooks. Business development in the federal sector is a continuum of activities that encompass everything from defining your company and product, to performing research on opportunities, purchasing patterns and forecasts, developing relationships with target agencies and potential partners, selecting specific contracts to pursue, going after those contracts in a systematic and structured manner, and finally writing a proposal that will, hopefully, win that contract for your company. The last two, pursuing specific contracts and writing winning proposals, are arguably the most unique activities in the pursuit of federal contracts and are indeed linchpins in the complex process of business development in the federal sector. In this two-part podcast series, Shirley will reveal the details and nuances of capture management and writing a winning proposal. Her guest for these discussions is Jeremy Nussbaum, founder and president of Luminary Consulting Group, a company that has built an impressive record of success in these two critical activities. Today's discussion on capture management is packed with great information for contractors of all sizes and in all sectors of the federal marketplace. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Jeremy Nussbaum. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Shirley here. Our topic today is about those all-important pre-proposal activities that must be performed after you have made the decision to pursue a specific opportunity, but before the RFP is released and you start on the proposal. This is the first of a two-part series on best capture and proposal processes for small government contractors. My special guest today is Jeremy Nussbaum. Jeremy is the founder and principal consultant of Luminary Consultant Group. He has over 18 years of successful management and business development experience in both government and industry. He has performed capture and proposal efforts for multiple contracts with various U.S. federal, civilian, and DOD agencies, and for over 100 federal contractors ranging from Fortune 500 companies to emerging small businesses. His efforts have contributed to over $3 billion of recognized client revenue and the award of GWACs, IDIQs, and BPAs with a combined ceiling value of over $120 billion. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thank you, Shirley. It's really a pleasure to be here. So, Jeremy, let's start with some definitions. Exactly what does capture even mean? That's a great question, and it's a loaded question, too. Uh, We see a lot of different definitions in the marketplace. Uh, I guess I'll start with the dictionary definition. According to Shipley, which is the closest thing we have to a standardized definition in the federal market, capture is a disciplined approach to qualifying business opportunities and developing a win strategy to improve your probability of winning a strategic opportunity. Leadership that a qualified capture manager provides is critical to keeping the pursuit on track. That's a little bit of a mouthful, but 
Now, we'll get into the definitions beyond that and what that really looks like in a practical sense. So, Jeremy, I want to make sure that we use language so that those who are relatively new to federal contracting can understand what we're saying. Would it be fair to say that capture encompasses a range of activities that bridge the gap between what the business development or salespeople are focused on and what the proposal team does? I think that's certainly a perspective that a lot of people have in the marketplace. Uh, on the other hand, I would actually say that capture is a subset of the overall BD lifecycle, covering about 80% of the timeline, including the entire proposal process, freeing up the external-facing BD people to go chase new deals. Uh, the proposal team really comes in to lead the document-specific efforts uh, once you have either an RFP or a draft RFP. But capture stays engaged the entire time from opportunity qualification all the way through proposal submission. Okay, that that helps. So explain the capture process and objectives. Sure. Um, So there are a bunch of different approaches in the marketplace. Uh, I think every company has its own take on a capture process. And ultimately, the the objective to your, your question is to win the contract. So how people go about that ranges pretty widely from uh, small businesses through large SIs. I've seen over half a dozen different processes uh, just from multi-billion dollar systems integrators, and all of them have some commonalities, and all of them have some slight differences too. Uh, So, for example, Shipley, again, we mentioned earlier, is kind of the, I wouldn't call it the gold standard, it's just the de facto standard uh, in the industry. Uh, It's up to a certain type of common language that people can use for things like color reviews. So if you've heard the terms pink team review or red team review or gold team review, uh, those come into the proposal process. Uh, Pretty similarly on capture side, within the Shipley process, they have different gates or phases. So things like your marketing decision or interest decision or pursuit decision, those are different gates uh, in the capture process, all of which would precede the release of an RFP. Uh, So basically, there are tasks that would go along the way um, for capture process that are tied to those. So things like making sure that you've identified the customer's need, making sure that you've uh, defined the requirements for them, making sure that you're uh, influencing those requirements uh, with, via your call plan with the customer, knowing what the strategic fit is for your organization, uh, helping shape your technical strategy and your teaming strategy and your management strategy, identifying potential past performance references or potential key personnel, all of those things really are part of the capture process itself. Uh, And it's iteratively further completed and more mature as you go through those different gates. So, uh, Jeremy, our audience is primarily small federal contractors. What best practices have you seen from large SIs or systems integrators that can or should be adopted by small businesses? That's a great question, and it's one that you know, we see all the time. Um, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some more detail later on, but the, the real quick answer to it is that uh, larger companies typically have defined processes with resources that have clear roles and carved out availability for proposal efforts. Uh, not to say that sometimes they don't have to pull people that are you know, billing on a client site to work on things, but they largely have you know, either a BD staff or proposal staff or capture staff, solutions architects, uh, writers, pricing people. All of those are different departments in, in these large SIs uh, with staff in, a, in each of those departments. On the other hand, a lot of small businesses just realistically can't afford to have dedicated personnel in every single one of those areas. However, 
they can implement similar concepts, uh, have people with those roles at least assigned to a capture effort. Uh, and the, the people that have a process that they follow that matches up uh, with a, a pretty clear gate review process, like we talked about, opportunity qualification process, you know, engaging in each of those facets of the capture management lifecycle have much higher win rates than those companies that just wing it or the ones that just kind of try their best. Uh, best efforts are great, but if you're not really following any sort of real clear process, uh, they're probably going to fall short. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I see, uh, because all of my clients are, are small businesses, that sometimes they use as an excuse, we don't have the resources to be disciplined. And I think what I just heard you saying is that you can still have a discipline and be structured in your approach, even if you have limited resources. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think doing that actually helps conserve resources. Uh, you know, if you're throwing money after proposals that you're not going to win, that's actually you know, wasteful of your resources. You're much better off having a structured BD process and capture process that will help you identify, qualify, and then shape uh, those opportunities to have a much higher probability of capture so you're not wasting those all-precious BD dollars. Yes, and so the result is that you have a higher return on investment in, your, in those BD dollars. Absolutely, yep. and that's, that's what's really most important. Right? If anyone that has financial sense, financial management, you know, if you've gone through... Uh, any sort of budgeting in your in your life, whether it's personal or professional, you want to make sure that your money goes uh, as far as it possibly can, and that you're seeing a positive return on that. And you know, people who, whether they're in a large business or small business, aren't aren't going to last very long if they're wasting money and they're not coming up with successful capture efforts. That's for sure. Yes, <laughs> for sure. We're all held accountable. Uh, so I want to talk about the continuum of processes and responsibilities uh, in BD and capture. Um, what, how would you describe the difference between capture and BD? Where does BD leave off and capture pick up? So I would say you can actually view capture as a subset of BD. Essentially, it's the portion of the business development lifecycle after opportunity identification, including everything from opportunity qualification to bid submission. However, in practical terms, most BD professionals are focused on customer relationship management, opportunity identification, and some opportunity qualification or teaming. Right? You've got your BD folks. They're the relationship people. They're out there um, shaking hands with customers, attending industry days, uh, things like that. They're often broadly focused across the entire pipeline of opportunities in their territory. On the other hand, capture managers usually have a much smaller number of opportunities that they focus on. And therefore, they're able to go in-depth with strategy and the tactical efforts to shape and ultimately win those deals. So we really uh, allow capture managers to focus on the things they need to focus on to be able to free those BD people up to be out there in the field. We still absolutely need their input. We need that customer relationship. We need those uh, potential teaming relationships. And we need their input even on potential win themes and strategy. Uh, but they don't have the bandwidth. Right? If your BD people are down in the weeds, on a single capture, spending 40 hours a week working on that, they're not out there identifying the next potential opportunity or 10 opportunities that you're going to need to continue to keep your pipeline full. Yes, and that's what happens in a lot of small businesses is that there are peaks and valleys in their business development because they pull people out of the field to start working on capture and proposal efforts. Exactly. We've seen that happen before, unfortunately, in a lot of companies, regardless of of size, you know, sometimes you'll see a management push, even at large SIs, where they'll say, okay, we need to fill up the pipeline and everyone go out there and identify new deals. 
because they want to make it look good for investors or to you know hit some sort of report for Wall Street. And then you know, the next quarter after that, they're not identifying any new deals because everyone's sitting there trying to qualify and submit on the, the things that they had identified before. So even large businesses can fall prey to that, uh, but that is definitely not a best practice. You want to have a pretty steady rhythm, uh, both of filling the funnel as well as qualifying and submitting things. So where does capture leave off and proposal management pick up? So proposal management really fits within a subset of the capture timeline, typically starting with an RFI response or the preparation of initial proposal materials based on a draft RFP. And then it really intensifies into full-time engagement when the RFP is released. Uh, That's when the rubber meets the road for the proposal manager. And then they stay really engaged all the way through final bid submission. Uh, Same thing if there are any sort of you know, uh, requests for uh, negotiation or items for negotiation, clarifications uh, after submission, you still want your proposal manager engaged. Uh, and they're, the main thing they're focused on is preparing the documents themselves, right? Uh, make sure that the proposal is compliant, making sure that it's maximized its evaluation score, uh, overseeing the development of the content, and then generating those final proposal documents that get submitted to the customer. Capture, on the other hand, really should begin a year or two prior to the RFP release, uh, depending on the size of the opportunity. And then that continues all the way through final bid submission. So activities for capture include everything from competitive intelligence to customer call planning to shaping the opportunity to form the right team. All of those are really important part of capture. And all of those things that I just mentioned take place prior to RFP release. If you're out there trying to shape the effort after the RFP is out, you're way behind the eight ball. You've got competitors who have been working on that same effort for six months or a year prior to when you started engaging on that. Capture is also crucial to a successful proposal effort, as the competitive intelligence and customer knowledge really feed into those win themes and helping maximize the proposal evaluation score. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So should uh, the folks that are in Capture also be involved in the price strategy, price to win? I, I suppose it really depends on whether or not you want to win. <laughs> so, <laughs> and <right>. who doesn't? <laughs> exactly. So my answer is absolutely yes. Uh, in a small business, I think they might actually uh, be leading the price strategy and the price to win, uh, really, because you're, you're not going to have the budget in most small businesses to have a separate price to win department, separate price strategy department. Yeah. You may have one person that's like a pricing expert in the company, but Capture definitely needs to be involved, even in the large SIs that have those departments. The capture manager might officially on paper by the process only be the recipient of the output from those departments, but if they're not helping shape that output, they're probably not going to win that deal Uh, because a price-to-win department and a price strategy department can look at all the data and come up with a conclusion, but unless they're looking at historical data only usually. So unless they're getting that current intel from the capture manager and from BD uh, feeding into that, they're not going to be able to have a, a good result that's actually applicable to this opportunity. So it's a team sport. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when should capture be engaged? Is it when is too early, when is too late? So, you know, I like to joke and say that uh, capture should be engaged early and often. Right? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, if you have a capture management department that you're leading, uh, as I have at a couple of companies in the past, sometimes you can see the opposite end of that pendulum swing and see companies that throw everything at capture, too. Uh, and they say, hey, we, we found an opportunity, you know, it's coming out in a couple of years, uh, can you assign a capture manager to it? And, you know, ask a couple of basic qualifying questions. Um, do we know the customer? Have we ever done work here before? 
Uh, has anyone met with them? Do we know when this RFP is actually going to come out? Is it even real? Is it funded? Any of those basic qualifying questions? And if the answer is no to all of those, yep. not, not really ready for capture yet. Yep. Uh, so somewhere in between that continuum um, is when you really want to be engaged. And some of that depends on the size of the deal. So, for example, for a must-win multi-billion dollar single award opportunity, capture should begin years prior to the RFP release. Um, and even for some of the smaller but significant task orders or single award contracts, you know, call it maybe like a $30 million threshold or $50 million threshold, um, those are huge, right? If you're, especially for a small business, that might double the size of your company. Um, so for deals like that, even for the large SIs, they'll start capture over a year prior to the RFP release or the task order request release. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for any major competition, if you're not starting prior to the draft RFP, um, or at least three months prior to the final RFP, there's a good chance, like I said, that you're at six months to a year behind your competitors. Uh, so I would consider that the very latest threshold uh, for when you'd want to engage Capture for um, any seriously competitive opportunity, even if it's a task order. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen small businesses and large businesses both where they get caught off guard by, by a final RFP release or a task order pops up. And they say, well, we've got you know, four weeks to respond you think this is still viable? Can we get in there and form a team real quick and submit a response? And the answer is yes, you can. But so whether or not you should is <laughs> yes. a whole different answer. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I've seen statistics that have said that if you just wait for the RFP to come out and you respond to it, your probability of win winning is less than 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, industry-wide, the average is around 30%. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when you look further into that 30%, that's across all contractors and all opportunities. Yeah. That includes those companies that are doing what we just described. Yes. So if you do it the right way, you should be much better than a 30% win rate. Yes, yes, absolutely. I uh, tell my clients, my small businesses, to target 40%. Mm-hmm. If you have a consistent 40% win rate, you're way, way above average. Mm. <laughs> And, you know, I advise my clients all the time about getting out in front of opportunities and shaping them. And there's a way to do that legally and ethically. So I'm really glad to hear you uh, talk about this, Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned legally and ethically, and I think it's really important for people to remember that the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, OFCP, actually recommends that contracting officers engage with industry prior to RFP release. Yeah, yeah. It's not just that they're allowed to, it's that they're actually encouraged to do that. Yes. And, and a lot of contracting officers haven't really gotten the MMO or they got it and they're, <laughs> they're a little bit conservative about it. Yep. But it, it really helps when industry comes in and, and reminds them of that nicely um, in, in an amicable way that you're helping provide industry data and shape that opportunity because you care about the outcome. Yes. Or you care about your customer, you want it to be an effective procurement that ends up producing the best value for the government. Yes, and sometimes innovation comes from those pre-solicitation communications, and it benefits the government to do so. Absolutely. So I have conducted a series of webinars on this very topic, on effective pre-solicitation communications, and I really emphasize the FAR, the regulations that govern those communications, and it's often misunderstood by business and industry and government. So we all have a lot to learn about what is ethical, legal, and beneficial to the government. I will need to go check out those webinars. Those sound good. (laughs) We're going to pause here for a moment to allow our moderators to catch their breath. When we come back, we're going to talk about the mistakes that small businesses make. We'll be back shortly, so stay tuned. 
Today's presentation is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Scale to Market helps businesses thrive and grow in the federal marketplace by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks. Visit our website at www.scaletomarket.com, that's scaled2market.com, to find more podcasts, webinars, and other informative resources. Now back to our podcast, an interview with Jeremy Nussbaum, President and CEO of Luminary Consulting Group, on the capture management process in federal sector business development. Welcome back. So let's talk about some of the mistakes that small businesses make. What, what, what have you seen as the most common mistakes that are made by small businesses in the capture phase? <laughs> Man, I wish there was only a list of one or two. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of them. Uh, you know, both large businesses and small businesses make mistakes all the time. That's just part of, of life. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, we'll focus on small businesses and some of the most common mistakes. Uh, even within that, uh, there are dozens that we see on a regular basis. I'll try to highlight maybe half a dozen or so. So the first one, I would say, is not engaging capture early enough in the timeline. And we had just talked about that uh, in the timeline and, and what that process looks like. But if you're, if you're a small business and you wait till the draft RFP is out or until the final RFP is out, that's, that's pretty tough. Uh, you really want to start engaging at the latest at that RFI stage if you can. Uh, you know, when you see an, an RFI, request for information, uh, sources sought notice, something like that, um, or an industry day um, where they haven't released a draft yet, but they're just talking about the concept of an acquisition, that's, that's a good time as a small business to get engaged. Right? You may not have the luxury of spending you know, two years before they even announce some, a procurement to, <laughs> to really be actively pursuing capture, uh, but at least that way you can shape the opportunity before they have a document put together. Uh, second mistake we see is failing to qualify opportunities correctly and throwing everything at capture. I talked about that a little bit earlier yeah. uh, with the experience that some people who run capture departments, uh, small businesses have, have had in the past. But you know, if you take your entire pipeline and try to assign capture to it, uh, your capture managers will not be able to effectively capture anything. Yeah. Uh, they, you need to be focused in what you pursue in order to be effective in what you pursue. So making sure that you have a correct gate review process. And you know when you go through those gate decision gates and you see, you know, hey, it's a gate one, and um, we've looked at all the, the basic opportunity and customer and competitor information, and there are four very well-positioned competitors on this, and we've never done work with this customer before, and our solution is slightly less cost-effective than everyone else's, probably not the best opportunity to pursue. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. um, so that making those decisions earlier saves you money in the long run and helps you focus on those deals you can win. On a similar note, though, there are other companies that never really pursue anything because they're so scared to waste money on capture that they don't invest in capture correctly, and they don't chase even those deals that realistically are winnable. Um, you know, we had, uh, I certainly won't name any names, but we had a, a client of ours uh, just this past year uh, for Luminary Consulting Group that was looking at a deal where they, there was an incumbent that was not very well liked, um, but was well entrenched, right? Um, there were two potential competitors and this was a, a deal that was tens of millions of dollars in, in value, single award, task order. They had staff on site at this company, uh, and so they were better positioned than any of the other competitors, except for the, the incumbent who was not very well liked. Um, they thought that they could be the more effective company on pricing by about 10% um, because they had a, a more effective cost structure. And at the end of the day, they elected not to pursue a bid because it was going to cost 
a decent amount of BNP um, and capture effort on, on their side, and they just didn't know if their internal resources could keep up or if they could afford a consulting budget for it. Wow. <laughs> you look at that, yeah. and I, don't, I just kind of shake my head and wonder, how are you going to stay in business if you don't pursue those deals that seem like a slam dunk? Yep. So you have to take a little risk. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, there's always risk involved in anything. Even pursuing recompetes of your existing contracts, there's a risk you're going to lose as the incumbent. Um, so, yeah, if, if you don't pursue deals where you're well qualified, you probably aren't qualified to yeah. pursue deals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are some of the other mistakes you've seen? Sure. Um, I would say another one, especially for small businesses, is uh, not getting the right mix of deals where you're the prime versus the sub. So, for example, some companies never prime. They seem to be the perpetual subcontractor. Uh, they're always out there working with a couple primes that they've worked with for years. And, you know, 20 years down the road, they still have no direct past performance. They still have no contract vehicles. And if that's what the owner wants out of the company, it's just a lifestyle company, then that's great. But if you want to grow, you have to take some shots at prime contract vehicles. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it's just as bad when you see small businesses that are always trying to prime or they're too proud to subcontract. Yeah. Uh, and I've <laughs> run across that at a couple small businesses where they're like, oh, no, 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 we do not subcontract. Um, we don't use our small business status. We want to stand out there and compete against all the large businesses because we know we're just as capable. <laughs> and that's a great sentiment, but it, it reminds me of, you know, a small dog at the park that's barking at all the big dogs. <laughs> it's like, you can have the bravado, but you don't have the yes. teeth to back it up. <laughs> yes. Never underestimate ego. <laughs> exactly. Um, same thing. There are some other, a couple others that I'll, I'll mention before we move on. Um, only chasing um, funded work and not allocating resources to pursue those uh, large GWACs uh, like Alliant or Oasis or Soup, um, those can be company-changing contracts in a good way. Right? If you win one of those 10-year, multi-billion-dollar IDIQs, that opens up the entire federal market if you didn't already previously have a contract like that because uh, they're available for every single agency to purchase off of. And then even the major agency-specific contracts like a DHS Eagle or Air Force NetSense, or Army ITES, uh, VAT4, any of those kinds of contracts. And I'm, I'm naming IT contracts because that's where we do a lot of our work. But yeah. uh, you know, even those contracts really can change your whole company. If you didn't have a major contract vehicle before, or you're only in one, you know, one or two agencies, and you win a huge multi-billion-dollar IDIQ in another agency, I've seen companies that have not just doubled in size, but have grown. 10 times in size, you know, small businesses over the course of just a five or 10 year window. Oh, yeah, very short period of time. Exactly. Just from winning one of those big contracts. So yeah. making sure you invest in those. But at the same time, you do not want to become an IDIQ only shop. Um, yeah. We've seen that as well. Um, I, there's one specific small business uh, that I have a couple friends that have, have uh, spent time there as an executive and they chase every IDIQ that comes out and they actually win a lot of them too. Yep. So they have this huge portfolio of contracts but they almost never chase task orders underneath because their people are always consumed with focusing on IDIQs. Yep. So yep. <laughs> IDIQs themselves are not revenue. They are a license to hunt, yep. and they're a path to revenue, but you have to still pursue the task orders underneath after you win them. So it's important to have a balance. Absolutely. So, And I've seen a lot of these mistakes as well, Jeremy. Um, you know, In my practice, I address many of these issues by doing objective market research for our clients then developing and executing strategies that are followed by the whole business development team. 
So I want to come back to some of these uh, strategies that are used by large systems integrators that can be easily adopted by uh, small businesses. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Yeah, and we had talked about that at the really high level earlier, but there really are a number of specific strategies and processes employed by large SIs that, that don't make sense for small business due to cost. But there are also just as many, if not more, that do scale well and should be implemented by every small business federal contractor. Uh, Some of those include things like paying attention to your customer, uh, meeting with customers, especially your existing customers, about their upcoming opportunities, uh, participating in industry days for specific agencies or opportunities of interest. Those things are usually free to attend, right? So there's absolutely no reason not to go to those. Um, Keeping an eye on adjacent contracts to those that you hold currently so, for example, if you are running a help desk right now and you have people that are on site uh, at a client uh, working on that, that help desk support, who's running the network infrastructure? Who's running their data center? Who are the other support contractors in there uh, that do things like cybersecurity? Or who's doing their application development? Right? There are tons of other contracts around you and contractors that are running those. So each of those represent a potential opportunity that you could bid on the follow-on or that you could even become a subcontractor or a teaming partner of those other companies on those deals because you have agency experience and customer experience as well. You'll look just as valuable to them as they do to you. Yes, that's good advice. Um, One of the other ones, maintaining relationships with current teaming partners as well as competitors. Um, Because whether someone is a a current teaming partner or a competitor of yours, they're always a future potential teaming partner or future potential competitor. So you never want to share too much, but you always want to maintain a good relationship if possible. Yep. None of those are really resource or cost-intensive efforts, and each one of those really will increase the size and quality of a pipeline um, and also improve your probability of capture, which is really what's most important. You'll want to win these deals. Um, getting more specific with capture management processes, uh, some of these include formulating an overall BD process and timeline and then capture and proposal processes within that. We talked about that, that every large business already has one of those established. A lot of small businesses do, too. Uh, But that relates directly to my second point, which is stick to your processes. You need to actually follow them. Yeah, Uh, It's hard. It's hard to stick to them. It it is. And I don't want to say that, you know, people need to follow all 100 steps of the Shipley process for every single (laughs) deal. So don't please, you know, don't take this the wrong way. If you have a process, your process itself should be scalable, right? What's it look like for a compressed timeline? What's it look like for a longer timeline? But you still have to follow some sort of process within that. Uh, you still need some sort of gate reviews uh, prior to the RFP release. You still need some sort of color reviews once that, that RFP comes out and you're working on your proposal. And you need to make sure that each of those are run effectively. Uh, some of the other things that really help, they're, they're a little bit of an upfront effort, but once you have them in place, even as a small business, they will definitely help you be more efficient and more effective on your future efforts, include creating an archive of past performance or case studies or white papers that people can draw from for everything from marketing materials to future proposal content. Uh, Pretty similarly, maintaining an archive or a database of key personnel resumes, skill sets, and certifications is really important, whether you're priming or subbing. You know, if someone sends out a data call and says, hey, we need key personnel for this upcoming contract, and they need to have CCIE, you know, Cisco certifications, and a master's level certificate in security, um, and we also need them to have, you know, a white hat ethical hacker certification, you know, something like that. Uh, if you don't know, uh, you don't have a database of your resumes or your certifications, 
then you're all of a sudden you're emailing every single one of your 1099s and every single one of your current employees that are billing on on another site and asking them, hey, does anyone have any of these? (laughs) And I've seen companies do that, both large and small, and that's not an effective way to handle that. It sure isn't. And it's a good way to irritate your team. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Uh, Because they're going to view it as as work to answer your question and potential work down the road in addition to what they're already doing. So it's, it's pretty demotivational if you're billing on a client site and you're getting questions like that about future work. Yes, yes, absolutely. Those are all excellent, excellent points. Um, We need to wrap up here. So um, as we come to a conclusion, I'd like um, for you to summarize your advice. Sure. Um, So start off with good BD, build relationships with customers, build out your pipeline, then follow the processes we've discussed to actually qualify those opportunities. And again, make sure you engage capture management. For small businesses specifically, again, it probably doesn't make sense to have a whole team of capture managers on staff. Uh, They'll likely handle capture for their deals with either their executive team, you know, maybe it's like the VP of BD or sometimes even the CEO, um, or they may have one or two internal capture managers. However, sometimes you'll have multiple deals hit at the same time, right? RFPs come out or, you know, you've got three or four RFPs coming out in the next quarter and you want to make sure you're positioned for those. And there are a number of good consulting firms out there, including Luminary Consulting Group, that can help with this. Even when it's not surge time, though, if there's a must-win deal, right, you've got to recompete for your one contract where 80% of your person, your revenue comes from, <laughs> you want to make sure you win that. Uh, or if it's a huge one of those opportunities we talked about that could double the size of the company, you know, those must-win deals, um, it's really imperative to engage some sort of expert support, uh, some Reach out to good capture managers, you know, if you know them personally. If you don't, make sure that you can find a good consulting firm. Uh, there are some people out there that do really, really good work. Uh, and it's much better to do that and invest in that capture and increase your probability of capture on it than it is to risk your company's future on the best efforts of people who otherwise have full-time day jobs or competing priorities. Yes. So, uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for your wisdom and your very thoughtful advice to small government contractors. Absolutely. Thank you, Shirley, for having me. I really appreciate this. You know, we've, we've helped over 100 federal contractors with their capture efforts, and I'm glad to help your clients any day. Thanks. If you would like to learn more about the capture process, you can get in touch with Jeremy. His email address is jeremy at luminarycg.com. That's L-U-M-I-N-A-R-Y-C-G for consulting group, dot com or visit the Luminary Consulting Group website at www.luminarycg.com. This is Shirley Collier, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com, that's scale2market.com, and subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website and join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast.